The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. How's everybody doing tonight? Very good. I got the okay sign. It's very good. Well, how many people were able to kind of dive in to the, the material and kind of even a cursory view of it. Does anybody know what topic we're doing tonight? We are doing prayer and the, uh, the life of the believer. You're kidding. Yeah, you're telling me. The first one I had, the first one, I looked at this one after I, figured, uh, after I found out I was doing it, and um, yeah, this is a lot more manageable than the one previous. I think the one previous was supposed to be, even though we had an hour, I may have gone over a little bit, but it was supposed to be like two and a half, three hours. I think it was like a multi-session, wasn't it, Josh? Yeah. Hmm? Yeah, that's Risa God. Okay. Um, before I begin and dive into everything, does anybody have any prayer requests? I'll, I'm going to open this up in prayer. I mean, this is the uh, session on prayer. Anybody? Not a shortage of things to pray about. All right, I'll open up in prayer, and then we'll we'll hit the road. Heavenly Father, I'm humbled to be able to sit here before Your Word, before Your people, to give out these truths that You have given to us, Lord. So graciously, You have given them to us, Lord. Let this be about the honoring and glorification of the God who is, who has always been, and who will never cease cease to exist. The one who has entered into space and time in the person of Jesus Christ to take us upon the sins of the world to represent those who he came to save. Help me to navigate through all the instances where prayer is spoken about, the importance of it, the purpose of it, the proper way in which we should, should do it, to honor you in that. Not to be selfish and use you as some sort of cosmic bellhop by which we can obtain anything we want. Father, the purpose in it, we see Jesus Christ all the time incessantly praying. We must model our prayer life and pattern it after his. And Lord, I, I just pray by the end of this, Lord, I would honor you and I would feed uh, with good and healthy portions of truth to your church that would be edified and grown and Lord in the end the end result of it all is you would be glorified to your praise it's in Christ's name I pray Amen Okay so tonight we're on prayer Uh, the objective this evening is going to be to explain the purpose of prayer Oh hello How we doing guys? So the purpose of prayer, with the goal of uh, exhorting the student to, exhorting everybody to spend time in prayer, that should be something that should be very fairly common to anyone in the faith, especially the longer you are in the faith. You can tell a lot about somebody's, you can tell a lot about somebody's theology and their walk with the Lord by just looking at uh, someone's prayer. I mentioned, I think it was last time I was up here, we were talking about Daniel's prayer in chapter 2 and chapter 9. 
Um, and you can tell a lot about his walk with God just simply by the way that he prayed. Um, so we're going to get into some things that uh, at one point in your walk, or maybe you haven't, some have, but the question is begged sometimes, if, especially in reform circles, if, if God is sovereign, if he knows the, if he's declared the end from the beginning, if he knows all things, why even bother to pray? What is the point? So we'll address that tonight and uh, deal with that uh, biblically. Um, and then we'll kind of close um, with some difficulties that sometimes come about with prayer. It's something that even as uh, seasoned uh, believers, sometimes we don't pray as we ought. We sit here and breathe and breathe, and we, we need the air. We need to be doing that with prayer, but sometimes we don't. And there's sometimes, like what we'll go through with David, uh, when he talks about Psalm 22, and then you have one in Psalm 34, 38, or no, 38, where he feels like God has just abandoned him. 22, my God, why have you forsaken me? But as the, as the psalm progresses, that, that, that's something wonderful about prayer, too, especially if you get to the psalms, you can use it. Like when I, I just don't feel like, not that I'll feel like praying, but if I just don't, if I need a little nudge and a little push as a springboard into really deep and genuine and honest prayer, I'll go directly to the psalms. I mean, it's not a few verses in there. Well, you'll... you'll you'll begin to, to pray. Um, and so we'll deal with those difficulties that, that can arise uh, for the believer. Um, but I wanted to start it out, and I was thinking about this the other day, and you know, I was going to start uh, the lesson, kind of how it does here, as an outline for purpose and, and, uh, and how it functions, but I wanted to kind of do a historical reconnaissance from the beginning up until the point where we're at now where we see prayer modeled throughout the totality of scripture. And one of the, the places that I, that I automatically went to because through Christ, Romans 5-2, through Christ now we actually have access to something, don't we? By his blood. What do we have access to? We have access to the grace. He's given us this grace, but we have access to the Father through Christ and who guides us in that prayer, the Spirit. And we also see that in Romans. That we pay to the Father, we pay through the intercessory work of Jesus Christ and the Spirit guides us. But if you look in um, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 4, uh, 4, 7, it's amazing. I read Deuteronomy last year, I think it was. And this is one of the verses I just, it just riveted to my brain. I cannot get it out. It was so remarkable, um, as many things are. But there's, there's, there's this one, you know, there's this couple, not couple, many texts within Scripture that you just can't get out, and they always stay with you. Um, but it's how God, he's such a personal God, that he would, uh, that communicates with his people not only through law, but through the prophets, Right, and through these later days and through Jesus Christ and we have his word but listen to Deuteronomy 4, 7 it says for God or excuse me for what nation is there that has a God so near to it 
as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him. This God is not some far off distant deity that we have to, you know, pray and pray and pray and pray and then at some point maybe he'll listen to us. Maybe we have to nudge him a little bit. Or maybe he's fallen asleep. Have you ever read, written, uh, read the book? Uh, I think we still give it away. What is the gospel? Do we still get that one? Yeah. There's a little section in there. It's like one of the beginning paragraphs. It's hilarious. Um, it it kind of goes through this silly illustration of what some people think God is. This old man in this garden, he's happy to get anybody who would listen to him. He used to have his glory days, you know, in the Old Testament, but, you know, he can barely get anybody to listen to him now. You know, that's not the God that, uh, that we serve, and that's not the God who, ex- who exists now. Um, but one of the most intimate forms of communication between God and his people is prayer. And while, like I said, in the Old Testament, priests did offer intercessory work, he still wanted and called his people to pray. One of the, visual, uh, the visuals that he gave his people was the burning of the incense. One of the ways that it represented prayer was that it went up. It gave, uh, you know, smells and everything like that, but the way that the smoke went up, we had the, we had the illustration in Revelation too. It says in Revelation 5.8, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are what? Prayers of the people. We back up to the Old Testament, Psalm 141.2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. So we've always had that. But then you think about what's what's a good portrait? What are those portraits if you could have some that you could just, I mean, there's tons of them, but I only picked certain ones that are good portraits and models of, of God's people praying genuine prayer to him. We have Moses' intercessory prayer at the top of the mountain when God's just going to wipe his people out, right? We have him there praying and interceding for the people. Hannah's prayer, 1 Samuel, beautiful prayer, a little similar to uh, Mary's Magnificat that maybe we'll get to in a a few weeks uh, with Greg. And then all the poetic prayers um, in the Psalms, Nehemiah 9, one of my favorites, Nehemiah 9. It's incredible. It's one of the most uh, heartfelt prayers of confession and praise of, uh, well, confession, covenant commitment, recognition of what they've done. A prayer that threads together all the works of God, beginning with Abraham and up to the present day where they found themselves at. Um, Daniel's prayer, like I said, chapter 2 and 9, particularly the one in chapter 9, because Daniel... Daniel is praying for the eventual restoration of Israel. And do you remember what sparked that prayer? Anybody? Come on, John. I see the wheels turning, man. Yeah, I mean, the whole purpose of the exile was divine judgment, starting with uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Um, Jeremiah was there in Jerusalem, ended up in Egypt, but uh, he was contemporary of Ezekiel. But 
the great thing about it is what sparked that prayer is he's sitting there reading Jeremiah. <laughs> he's sitting there reading scripture and he goes to prayer. You know what I'm saying? Go to the Psalms and spring point to prayer. But he notices something in that when he's reading, he's talking about the 70 years. He knows it's coming. Right. Yeah. Um, and then Zechariah, uh, I'm not sure where Greg's going next, but it, it's in, the, in a few weeks, I guess. We'll go back a little bit. Um, or maybe you already touched on it. Did you go to the first part of Luke where Zechariah is and John the Baptist's father? I don't think he has. But anyway, uh, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, he's, um, he's uh, offering burning of the incense and the people are praying outside and he's praying okay you have later uh, the one I talked about Mary's magnificent extolling and praising God for what he's done on her behalf and on the behalf of she knows what's going to happen through this um, oh man Simeon Simeon's song at the temple just think of this old man who's been sitting there waiting for the consolation of Israel, sitting there waiting, knowing that the Holy Spirit has told him that he's going to see, he's going to see this, he's going to see Christ, he's going to behold him, and he does. He said, let me depart now, I've seen it. And in the beginning of every not every, but most of Paul's letters, if you, the very beginning of it, it's, it's, it's wonderful. He's always saying, we're praying, or I'm praying for you. I have you constantly in my prayers because of your faith or how you've, um, how you've, um, uh, for your faith that has been given to you. I mean, all the time we have that. So does anybody see a constant pr uh, pattern here? A prayer in the life of a believer it's something that's indispensable it's something that you want to do the moment you come to faith you're not good at it but that doesn't matter God wants a genuine prayer he doesn't like you know tailored prayer something we can just, just so beautiful I could just hang it up on the wall I want genuine prayer I want heartfelt prayer I want a heart that is contrite a heart that is broken over your sin you know, Jesus' sermon on the mount, or the, the one that Luke's is uh, on a plane. But, you know, blessed are those who mourn. You're like, blessed are those who mourn. You know, Christians mourn for a while. We're just sitting here unhappy. Kill joys? No. <laughs> We're the most joyful people ever. But we mourn over our sin. We mourn that people... Who, don't, who are in our lives that we love dearly that don't know the Lord. It breaks our heart. It doesn't sit well with us. It doesn't stop us from sharing the good news. But we're mournful because, you know, we, we look at our sin. We, we know how far we, how far, fall, far we uh, have fallen. But we're quickly reminded of God's grace and he continued mercy in our lives and a continued sanctification that we continue to grow into the likeness of Christ. And so should our prayer life too. You look at Jesus, he was completely incessant in prayer all the time. 
Um, I mean, even before, you know, picking the, uh, going amongst the disciples, before he even did that to pick the, the 12 apostles out of the midst of all the other disciples that he had, how long did he pray? That's a pretty big decision. He prayed all night on top of that mountain. Sadly, I don't think there's a time where I've prayed all night. Um, but MacArthur says here, um, the purpose of prayer is to express our submission to the sovereignty of God and our trust in his faithfulness. Prayer is the means by which we express all that is in our hearts to a loving and wise Heavenly Father. Prayer is not to give information because God knows everything. Where does God know everything? Where do we hear that? Psalm 139, maybe? A host of other places. Prayer brings us into reverent communion with God, worshiping Him and acknowledging Him, looking at Him, recognizing that He is the giver of all things. As James says. So prayer itself, um, actually, I'm going to go to one of these questions real quick, and we'll kind of go from that. really want to drill in um, tonight to all this material. That way everybody walks away with, I want everyone to walk away with a greater understanding of, like, the purpose, why we pray, how we pray, and what reverence do we do it, even if we, uh, like I said, we'll get into the question of God's sovereignty with man's responsibility and me praying. Um, but it's kind of getting, I'm just kind of getting into a couple of these real quick. So according to the Apostle Paul, this should be in your, in your books, um, who assists us in our prayer? I spoke about it earlier. Right, the Holy Spirit. And who, who we pray to? Also in Romans, pray to the Father. So in light of that, what should we do when we're not sure what to pray for? If the Holy Spirit guides us, What are we to do? We pray and express our uncertainty to God and trust that the Spirit will intercede for us. Because we don't always pray as we ought. And God has given us that great benefit of the Spirit of truth. I mean, the Spirit does many things. He leads us in prayer. He guides us in truth. He convicts us of sin. Oh, just one more added benefit to what the Spirit does. So prayer itself is something that we should, um, is again a communication with God, and Scripture, scripture informs us that is, He's very interested in our struggles. Right? I mentioned Psalm 34, 15. Does anybody know that psalm? No, 34. Man, get acquainted with it. It's amazing. Um, but the verse 15 of it says the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears are towards their cry. How many times do you see in scripture God helping and rescuing his people in response to their cry? 
I mean, one ought to jump out very quickly. Egypt, maybe. <laughs> Hear the cries of my people. Yeah. Um, exile. We mentioned Daniel and his prayer while they were in the exile. Just imagine uh, the kind of things he's surrounded by and not knowing if it would ever come to an end. But he did. He was reading God's words, knew God was trustworthy, and began praying and knew what was going to happen. God, for it is faithful. God is faithful. So repentance, we see that in Judges all the time. They go back and do the same thing. It's like cyclical. And there's sometimes where God doesn't. He, he lets it go. He lets it go for his glory and ultimately for our good. And sometimes God doesn't... MacArthur says something in here about a prayer that's not answered. But you're always going to get an answer to prayer. It's, it's either yes or no. And sometimes that answer is no. And we need to rely on God. But who does God hear? This is interesting. I was looking at, um, speaking of Daniel, Daniel uh, 10, 12. And then 1 Peter. We'll go, to, um, we'll go to Daniel real quick. All right, Daniel 10, 12. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel. This is him speaking, um, an angel speaking to him. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I come because of your words. First um, Peter 3.12. I'm going to go there real quick. I'm going to drill into all this scripture. We have a foundation upon which we know all of these things. We're not just stabbing in the dark. We're not just saying these things and hoping they're true. They're actually rooted and grounded in God's unvarnished and unchanging word. So I said 1 Peter 3.12. Um, and this is speaking back to the Psalms. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. God hears the prayers of his people. So conversely, who does he not hear? Not that he is incapable. Who does he not hear? Right. In the Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 15, 29, and uh, also in John's, John 9, 34. We know that. But that does not mean we cannot pray on their behalf. But God's ear is not turned to those who regard iniquity and who cast off his ways, who do not walk in his statutes, nor regard him as their creator. He actually will get them over. Look at Romans 1. Those who suppress the truth and their righteousness is like no, no atheist has ever existed. 
No atheist has ever existed. You look at Romans 1, everyone knows that there is a creator. There's manifold evidence in the creation itself. Psalm 19, Romans 1, where they suppress the truth. They suppress what they know and go after the imaginings of their own mind because they hate God and create another one in his place, one that does not exist, one that does not do anything other than bring death and destruction. Um, what, does, what does David bring in his prayer? Psalm 142, too. Let's see. He says, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. So these are these are things like, what do we bring to God? Those are some of the things we bring, don't we? When we enter into prayer, we bring our troubles. We cast our anxieties upon him. We praise him. We extol him. We get Thanksgiving. We just, we just got out from the Thanksgiving um, holiday. That's one of the, I mean, that is a, a very biblical thing to do, is it not? To give thanks for, I mean, we were just talking about Romans 1. <laughs> they did not honor God nor give thanks to him. Yes, If you're righteous, no, sir, you live in a sinful world where things are going to happen. And God prunes his people. You ever heard the refiners? Happen in a vacuum? Just in it? No. Does not happen in a vacuum? Explain that. Oh, you mean passively just take it in? Well, you either Christ's righteousness is upon you or it's not, yes. Well, was Christ righteous? Why well, was condemned to death? Why was he condemned to die on a cross for the sins of the world? If he's righteous, he's... You mean if I'm sitting here and I don't know what to pray for? Yeah. Well, there may be some times where I pray in a manner that I should not pray. I pray selfishly. You look at James. What does James say? Yeah. You don't have because you're not asking rightly. You're acting selfishly and you don't receive. So, where are you going with that, John? <laughs> Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, what's one of the ways that God prunes his, pe- uh, you know, prunes his people? You know, through difficulties. You talk about the vine dresser, and Jesus talks about. No, I'm just, I'm talking about that. Mm-hmm. You mean we're just kind of floating along in like the state of righteousness where everything just well I think that's pretty inconsistent it'd be very hard to do if you spent any time in God's word and looked at God's people especially in the early church huh yeah, it'd be hard for God's people to spend time in God's word and walk away and walk away thinking that. That's, I mean. Hmm? God will always humble us. Yeah. That's one of the loving things that God does as a father, is he disciplines us because he loves us. Um, but one of the ways, um, so how do we align that's one of the things that's it's it's going to be coming up. This is kind of the, one of the hurdles if you're looking down the road right now. Uh, kind of what I talked about the hurdle that's coming up is, you know, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Why should I pray if I know God's sovereign? And again, looking at the scriptures should clear it clear it up for you. And it and it and it, and it assumes that uh, you know prayer is some way uh, somehow you know, one dimensional. Um, so we're I mean the purpose of, of the goal here is in, in prayer is aligning our wills with God's I said in my prayer earlier that you know God is not some sort of cosmic bellhop by which we just obtain whatever I want whenever I want it Jesus told me you know he says in his word you know ask whatever you wish and you'll get it really well, he says Shortly after that, um, um, actually, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to jump ahead. 
But if you look in Matthew 6.10, Matthew 6.10 is what? The Lord's Prayer in, in Matthew's account. What is he saying there? In light of aligning ourselves, aligning our wills and our desires with God's desires, he prays what? Your kingdom come, your will be done. We need to, and it's always in that order, okay? Prayer, when we're speaking of communicating with God, and you look at this um, in the prayers of the ones I just mentioned, it's always a reverence towards God first um, and concerned about his will being done. We look at uh, Jesus in Gethsemane praying that the cup would pass from him. But what does he say? He says, not my will, but your will. I mean, I know my will can be flawed as a sinful individual. I mean, I'm exposed to all kinds of things. My mind can take in erroneous and faulty thinking sometimes. We don't always think level-headed in a level-headed way or clear, but we have one who does, and he's done from the very beginning to the end. It's consistent. That's one of the great things about the biblical worldview, and what we, you know, one of the things we're going to be teaching in this youth class on apologetics is... You have God's word. You literally have God's word, okay? You're not like the world. You're not inconsistent in your thinking. Your morality never changes. Like the world is shifting all the time. I mean, you look at some of the, the candidates. When they were running, they were running against themselves who they were five years ago. You see how much further to the left I can go from where I was. And then, uh, so yeah, the, the Luke twenty two forty two says, Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, nevertheless, nevertheless, I know I have a purpose. I know why I came. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And these acknowledgments that are his are perfect and untainted by sin. We got to remind ourselves of that. But, so the sovereignty and prayer. So the question that I said was raised by some, and even perhaps ourselves at some point in our Christian pilgrimage, is if God is sovereign over all things, then, you know, why do we pray? If he determined the end from the beginning, if he foreknows all things, um, he says, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. For the Lord of hosts, has purpose, and who will annul it? If, I, if we sit here and gathered everyone together, we all held hands, okay? And we prayed, ugh, I don't even think about it, the Lord would not come back. Do you think God would answer that? Do you think that would somehow sway God from doing something he's purposed and he's told us about? No. He says his hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? And the second area concern revolves around the question, does God, does prayer really change anything? Does it change anything? It's kind of linked in with that one question. 
It's kind of a secondary one. Does prayer change anything? If God is sovereign, why do we pray? Think about those two things for a moment. As, like I said, as those who um, are under the Augustinian persuasion, we know about God's sovereignty, but we also know about man's responsibility. And then we're not robots in any stretch of the imagination. We have our own wills. Those wills are bent and inclined towards a certain direction. And we're always going to choose what's according to our nature. It's one of the great things about grace. God gives us a new heart that is able and causes us to walk in his ways. We did not have that. He gave us a new heart in order that we could do those things that he calls us to do. But circling back around to the first question, there are many reasons to pray. Not the least of which is that God commands it. I don't care if we talk about any other one. If God commands it, that requires you to do it. And that requires me to do it. Yet he not only commands it, but he invites us to make our requests known. Back to Philippians 4. If anybody uh, went through this, the very first page, Philippians 4, 6-7, listen, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let your request be made known to God. And James tells us that we have not we're just talking about this. You have not. Because you ask not. And then later he says you have not because you have been asking in a manner that is reverent. It's only self-centered. Additionally, he says the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. So what does scripture say? Does prayer do anything? Yeah, it does. Again and again, the Bible says that prayer is an effective tool. It is useful. It works. Why would God tell us to do something if it didn't work? I mean, you need to look no further. If we're still in, uh, we're going to stay in James for a second. What does he get for his exhibit A? About praying. About the prayer of a righteous man. Exhibit A, Elijah. Right? So he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. The heavens gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So Elijah didn't give some new information to God that he didn't already previously know. So while prayer doesn't change or alter the mind of God, for he wouldn't be immutable, that would, that would make God something. We, we went through attributes of God. One of, the, one of the attributes is God's immutability. He does not change, does he? I think James talked about that too in the very beginning, first chapter. He talks about that. So if God changed his mind... But listen to this. But things do change, don't they? 
What did God say he was going to do to the Ninevites? He was going to judge them, right? If they did not repent. And he, did, he went to send Jonah. Jonah reluctantly didn't want any sort of mercy to be upon these people whatsoever. May that never, ever be found in us. To not want to, to give God's mercy and his uh, graciousness of the gospel to somebody who is in need of it. I don't care who they are, how bad they are, what kind of lifestyle they lead. Everyone on this planet is an object of God's mercy. Um, but he says he's going to judge them. And what they do, they repent in sackcloth and ashes. They repent. And God does not bring divine judgment on him or on them. And like I said, things do change. And they change according to his sovereign will, which he exercises through secondary means. What are those secondary means? The secondary means are prayer. He uses them to bring things to pass in this world, so prayer does things. So if you ask me, prayer does prayer change things? It absolutely does. It's something that God has given. He's given his people. One of the many things that he's given us is by mean, as a means by which he will work. So a prayer, I wanted to add one more thing here before we uh, move on, but it, it, it additionally benefits us by changing us too. It absolutely changes us. Like everything else in the Christian life, it is for God's glory and our good, and it's in that order. That order you need to be concerned about. First God, then you. When you look at the, uh, the saints of old, or even in the, the New Testament, what are they always doing? Somebody, I think, maybe, I'm, sure, I'm not sure who did this, but when I pray sometimes, I don't do this to uh, give God some new information or just to show how just holy I, holy I am because I know, you know, things that God has done in his word. But one of the things that I'll do is um, I'll start off by praying, you know, um, the God who has done X, Y, Z. You know, I'm giving God this, all this information that, yeah, I know what I've done. Why are you telling me that? I do it for the purpose of reminding myself who it is I'm talking to. Reverently coming before him, not just flippantly, but I need to remind myself of who this is I'm talking to. And you see it a lot uh, when I was uh, Nehemiah 9. Daniel's um, Psalms. I mean, they're recalling of God's works. It's a good reminder and a springboard into really healthy prayer. But the more you pray, it's just like a husband and wife. Who are we in this relationship with the bride to the bridegroom, the church, and the bridegroom? I mean, think about in, a, in an actual, you know, in a, in a what um, marriage represents. It represents that that relationship with Christ and His church. But if a husband and wife aren't communicating, you think that relationship's probably healthy? There becomes a breakdown in things. Communication needs to be happening all the time. 
I mean, I know a lot of things about my wife just because I know a lot about her and there's some things I'm still learning. Does that mean I don't want to hear from her? I want to hear from her. He is our father. I mean, we are objects. I mean, we had sin so bad that it required the death of God's only son. Do you not think he loves you and cares for you? He wants to hear from you. He knows what you're going through. Jesus himself, you know about in in Hebrews chapter 5 or 7, that he prayed with loud groans and cries. Who intercedes for you now? Hebrews 13. Jesus is interceding for you this very moment. I mean, that should perk you up a little bit. (laughs) Um... But prayer is not simply just a mere exercise in uh, self-analysis or, or, or religious uh, recitation. It is discourse with the personal God himself. There's an act um, where I bring my whole life under the gaze of God. And right there, I'm reminded of once I who, who I was, my constant need for him in light of all my new transgressions, how I would perish without him, how he, the giver of life, has provided all I shall ever need, reminding me that I shall never want anymore. I shall never, I mean, you will never want anymore. Psalm 23, God is our shepherd. I shall not want, he's provided everything. God knows what we need him before a word is formed in our mouth. You still need to, give it and it tunes our heart to him doesn't it prayer yeah who guides them you talking about you talking about Proverbs 16 why would you not want to hear him Yeah, absolutely. There's many, there's many prayers, John, uh, prayer of contrition, prayer of adoration. We talked about Mary's Magnificat. I mean, the whole time there's just praising God, praising God. And like I said, when I go to, usually when I go to, uh, you know, Psalms or something and, and begin to pray, that I mean, that just leaps off into doxology and praises to God, remembering of what he has done. So, I mean, there's many different, I mean, prayers of, you know, confession. He does say, cast your cares upon him. and that's where it goes back to what James was saying and then um, I'm glad you mentioned oh
Ah, here we go. Psalm 2. That goes back to what we were talking about, John, with aligning our wills yeah, to his. But the, 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 the proverb was saying about the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his way. It's almost like the Lord is sovereign somehow, huh? <laughs> and thankfully, yeah, we do. I mean, we're in Listen to, speaking of that, John uh, 15, 7. I, can't, I cannot think of John 15, 7 without seeing Elijah do this. There's a I'm the vine, you're the branches song. Uh, Slugs and bugs. Does a, I'm, there's like hand motions to it and everything, but he knows the verse. He wants me to go in scripture and find it. Um, there's my plug for slugs and bugs. If you're kids, they'll learn scripture for sure. But he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Oh, wow, I just ask whatever I want. But again, you have to take scripture and apply it to the totality and rest of scripture. Because a little bit later, um, in that he says, well, there can do two conditions given to, to the answer prayer, abiding in Christ and his words um, in you. So that, that assumes that if God's people are truly abiding, okay, that, that presupposes that God's people are truly abiding in Christ, right? And if we're abiding in Christ, they will desire what he desires and pray according to his ways. We look at uh, John five fourteen. speaking of this. If we ask anything according to what? My will? Or God's will. <laughs> if we ask anything according to God's will, He hears us. So we have to we have to understand of our alignment with our will to to God's will. I mean, I mean, Jesus' pattern for his his disciples. What does He say in that prayer? We talked about it earlier. Your will be done. It's an acknowledgement that God is not only sovereign, but He is righteous and He's holy. He determines. It's either in Psalms or Isaiah, but God says, I determine what is right. We live in a culture that wants to determine, well, there is no right. There are truths, but there's no truth whatsoever. But God determines truth. That's why I'm really excited about this curriculum we're going through. I mean, it's 
you'd be amazed by the, I mean, once you start digging into it in the scripture, how consistent God's word is, how stable it holds you. And then you look at people who have, do not hold anything they have, but yet they'll make moral truth claims all the time without any foundation for that whatsoever than other than I am a law unto myself. I'm to follow you now? Who, who's arrogant in this? But let's look at, how am I doing on top? Okay. Okay, let's just end it real quick on um, the struggle of prayer. I mentioned that at the very beginning. You use typically, you don't think about like the Christian struggling with prayer. But this is something, and what MacArthur really hones in on here um, is really, you know, feeling like God is, has left you, abandoned you. Because you haven't, you haven't either felt him or, 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 or received, you know, some sort of consolation from him. Um, but before I get to that, there's one thing I, I personally struggle with. Maybe you do too. Is, I mean, I'll just get caught up in the just the busyness of life. I mean, I may read scripture that morning, but I make it a, I make it a in my business. Not only to get up in the morning, and I do that a lot better and, and read scripture, but I make it my point in my business to at lunchtime at work, pray. There are too many things in this life that, that need and require prayer. And that's something that so often I just continue to work through. I don't go pray, I just continue work because I'm so busy. And then I read the benefits, the non-benefits of that later. I loved myself in that instance, in something God's given me, like work. He's given it to me for a blessing, and I've used that blessing to do something that I wanted rather than pray and praise God or pray for somebody else or pray for somebody's salvation, pray for an opportunity to work, talk about Christ, no, I, I, I've instead loved myself a little bit more. Um, but that's something, and, and, and sometimes I just don't feel like it. I don't understand it. It baffles me. It's not often, that's for sure, because what does the Spirit do? The Spirit convicts us greatly. But it just, sometimes I'm, I just, I don't know. And I look at the next day, I'm like, well, how, how in the world did that happen? You know, how, 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 did I, how did I miss a day of, you know, just not praying? I was going through, <laughs> wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But God is gracious, and we continue to grow. It may be a crawl sometimes. It may be, I mean, we're barely moving, sluggish, but we're always moving towards that which is more like Christ. Um, let me, so prayer can be hard work, but... You know, that should not keep us from not praying. Like I told you, when he picked his disciples, he prayed all night. He knew. I mean, he was connected with the Father. We should, we should be just as connected with our Heavenly Father as Christ was. 
He knew the importance of it. That's why he was always praying. He always removed himself from other people sometimes to pray. And it's amazing when his disciples came to him and they were asking, they didn't ask, well, how, how do I walk on water? How do I do all this stuff? Teach me how to pray. They saw things that happened in response to Jesus' prayer. Please teach us like John the Baptist taught his disciples. And he gave them the model, kind of the structure and the skeleton. Don't just pray this prayer. Even You can, and it's good. You know, it's a reminder. But he says, pray like this. Revere God. Look at that. And I'll wrap up. This is our Father, who's to the Father, who art in heaven, hallowed. The reverence of God, hallowed be your name. Okay? Your kingdom come. We praise God's kingdom come. Pray in anticipation of hope of the second coming of Christ. Your will be done. We've been hammering that one tonight. We pray for God's will to be done. Pray that God's will, your will, will align with God's and pray for those things that are consistent with God's revealed will. How do we know what God's revealed will is if we're not in God's word? That's why you have so many, uh, you know, jellyfish Christians who just are tossed around to and fro by everything. They're not rooted and grounded. What God, God's given you everything. And we don't look at it. Um, gives us day our daily bread. I mean, he gives us everything. He gives us our needs. I'll go back to Psalm uh, 23 and then Ezekiel 34. Our shepherd, he provides everything that we need, our sustenance, um, all of our needs even though sometimes we continue to think we, we need more than he's given us. He's given exactly what we need. Um, not to lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he tell Peter that Satan would sift you. He would have sifted you. And for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory of God. Note that these words are not found... Um, It's interesting, uh, MacArthur notes here that uh, the very end for yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever, that uh, the words are not found in most reliable manuscripts. However, they do exalt our all-powerful God, ending the prayer on a note of praise. Um, and then, actually, no, I'm going to close it on this. Um, speaking of the Lord's Prayer, um, there is a book that Luther wrote. It's more of a letter that he wrote. Does anybody, does anybody listen to Ligonier? R.C. Sproul? Well, he wrote a book, a children's book, one of I don't know, he's four or five. But The, the Barber Who Wanted to Pray. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an imaginative tale based on a true story of Luther and his barber when Luther was in exile. He went to this guy for a trimming every once in a while. But he knew that who this man was. He never turned him in. He revered this man. But the barber noticed his insufficiency in prayer. He was like the disciples teaching me to pray. And he, 
he asked Luther, how, how can I best pray? I pray that my prayers never get up no further than the ceiling. Please teach me how to pray. And he wrote this letter. He penned this letter just to his barber. It's like one of the smallest books he ever wrote. It's called, we can read it today, it's called A Simple Way to Pray. But what he told him is, get to the Lord's Prayer. Pray through the Lord's Prayer. Remember how I was saying I go to the Psalms and use it as a springboard? That's what he was talking about. He also told him to go to the Ten Commandments. Pray through the Ten Commandments. And the Apostles' Creed, go through that. You pray through that, and your prayer life will grow. Because what is the I mean, what is this what is this prayer all about? It is focused heavily on who? It is heavily focused upon God and his will. We know that his will is right, his will is good, and it will come to pass, and we need to align ourselves. We have to know who we are in our sinfulness and rely on the one who has never been tainted or marred by sin. Does anybody have any questions? I'm done. I promise you, you're going to get out of here. I'm sorry. I cannot believe it's 7.30. We need two hours, Josh. Yeah, that's one of my stumbling blocks. We got to remember too, like what's the greater purpose of me rendering work to my employer? You know, is in all things is to glorify God wherever I'm at. Yeah, and you know, even today, um, I got news. Um, no, nobody needs to be scared. But my uh, my superior contacted COVID, and she hadn't been at work or anything. She works from home uh, for the most part, but she's an unbeliever. That gave me a in right there to let her know I'm going to be praying for her. Let her know that, uh, but as I was praying for her, you know, there's, there's several things I was praying about that it would, you know, whatever it was. She didn't, she didn't know if it was that at the time she was at the doctor's getting tested, but um, I told her I'd pray for her. You know, pray for a negative result and then the eventual recovery, you know, of whatever she caught. But as I, was, as I was praying, you know, I prayed that, you know, if God would somehow use that to the further ends of her salvation, you know, his will be done, let it stay, because it would remind her, you know, it would press her towards those things we don't talk about. You know, we're healthy, we don't, we don't and we're an unbeliever, we don't think about those things. I don't think about my mortality. I don't think about, you know, what I know inevitably, inevitable end of me is going to be. But we're in those moments beginning to thinking. 
but it gave me an opportunity to pray for her and um, through a message let her know that I'm praying for her. Let her know I love her despite that she knows we're on polar opposites of the worldview divide in every way probably. But that doesn't matter to me. I, I'm, I'm not the one she's offending. That's her creator. My job is to give the gospel, give the hope, and to continue to love her.